Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for uh, this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And Lord, we just pray that that, uh, this text would challenge us and encourage us. And Lord, that we would... Lord, that we would get to know you better and that we would understand life maybe just a little bit more and that we would see how we should respond. And God, I just thank you for, for somewhat difficult texts like tonight that we can learn from it, Lord. And we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to mute everybody. It is because I am sometimes a jerk like that. Okay. Welcome. Welcome. All right. So we are in Hebrews chapter two, and I'm going slower through the book of Hebrews than I thought. Uh, we would be going, but it's just, it's just too much. It's just like, you can only eat a steak so fast. I mean, at some point you're like, I got to chew. I just have to chew and swallow here. There's just so much. And so, yes. So a quick uh, Jesus recap by way of introduction. We are in chapter two and uh, we are in five to 18 tonight. Uh, We learned in the first session that Jesus is greater than the prophets, which is not a minor thing. It's, that God has spoken through these prophets and God has now spoken fully and finally in Jesus. And Jesus is uniquely like God and Jesus is cosmically in charge. There is nobody ever that is, that is Jesus. He is the most unique thing person ever. He is, he not only created everything, uh, the son of God also sustains everything. And we learned last week that he is superior to the angels and that kind of sounds random to a degree, like, oh, really? Like, does that matter? But if you take, like, the best of humanity when it comes to communicating God, the prophets, and, 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 and don't kid yourself. You go through the Old Testament, you're like, okay, you say to yourself today, I wish I could hear and understand what God has to say. If only I knew what God would say to this thing, I would know how to tell it to my friends. If only I knew how God would decide on this matter or on this issue, then I would know what to do. Well, the prophet was the one who heard the word of the Lord and literally spoke the words of the Lord. And so the prophet was uniquely on the word of God front lines there. So it's no small matter that Jesus is superior to them. And then superior to the angels? Well, I mean, kind of think about it. What's left? The angels are in heaven full time. The angels have God's face in front of them full time. The angels are all about the business of God, can essentially do whatever they want. They have all this power. I mean, wow, there is nothing like the angels. So that's our Jesus recap coming up to this point. But what are some possible concerns? Well, I came up with four. Why we still need to talk about the angels tonight. Because what if Jesus was an angel? you have to pardon me. I don't personally believe this, but it's actually a valid concern. The argument last week was that Jesus was superior to the angels. Okay, well, what if he's just the highest angel? You see, you may have Jehovah's Witness friends that they would land their plane there. You may have Jewish friends that would land their plane there. You may have Muslim friends that want to be tempted to land their plane there. And yeah, I mean, we've got the angel of the Lord. I mean, in the Old Testament, thanks, Daniel. I mean, we, there, is, there is biblical credence for this possible thought. 
it's okay, Jesus, you're superior to the angels, but that just means you're the boss of all of them. You could be an angel still because we're looking at you, Jesus, and we're saying you can't be God, but you can be like God. And what's like God more than an angel's like God? I mean, so that could be, that's something that could be a possible concern that we would want the author of Hebrews to address it. What about, what if Jesus was different than God, but just barely? What if he was just barely different than God? And so some people look at Jesus in the New Testament and go, well, I don't know. Maybe he is just, I mean, I get he can do things that no one else can do, but we're going to go full out to say he's God and that God, you know, is walking around. And I mean, seriously, what does that do to my prayer time to know that God could be, could have been walking over there? I mean, how do we deal with that? You see the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they had to wrestle with that. So what if Jesus is different than God, but maybe just barely different than God? Because they would get, okay, he just did this miracle. So he's something. Uh, we don't quite know what he is, but he just can't be God. He just something has to be different. And Mick texted in here, the agnostics were barely saying, basically saying something along those lines. Lines, yeah, that's exactly it. God can't be flesh because God can only be spirit. Um, we have, and I read somewhere. This is I don't know who this is. Oh, this also also Mick. I read somewhere that the, that the first century Qumran community venerated angels. I mean, the ancient world venerated angels. You've got the planets and you got the stars. You'll notice in, your, in the, the Greek and Roman pantheon, you'll notice that all the planets, that they all, they all seem to have some kind of godlike quality then. And we get the days of the week, you know, we, we've got, you know, different, different things like that. And, and, but the, the, the angels, they looked at the stars and said, those must be angels. What's the third one? Could Jesus be his own category? Now, before you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, does, to your mind, does Satan have his own category? Is there anybody like Satan? Is he kind of unique? Does he have his own category? Most of you would probably go, well, all right. I mean, he's not God. And he is, okay, I get how he's like a fallen angel thing or maybe, but you know, he's kind of doing his own thing. He's the prince of the air, the ruler. Of the, okay, yeah, Satan's kind of unique. All right. Well, why not Jesus? Why can't Satan have a counterpart? We know that counterpart can't be God because no one's in God's category or God's league. But what about Jesus? Because then Jesus is an angel. If Satan's an angel, Jesus is an angel. So you see, if Jesus is not superior to all these things, then we're playing with these ideas here. Finally, um, did he have to be flesh or something different? See, the, the ancient agnostics would be there. Uh, see, we have uh, Mick Texan of Satan as many among demons, head honcho of demons, but not as unique. Could be, yeah, that's, you know, Jesus starts doing things and they say, oh, you must be with demons because you're, you're, you're casting out demons. So maybe you're their boss. And yeah, Satan has some unique powers. You go to the, the temptation narrative of Jesus, what he's able to do in front of Jesus is pretty cool. I mean, in terms of no human can do it. I mean, this he's, he's a unique character. Um, I'm just saying, uh, what about did Jesus have to be flesh or could it be something different or spiritual? So that means Jesus didn't have to literally die, that Jesus maybe never had to go poop or Jesus never had to get hungry or Jesus never had to do any of those things. He actually was a, a spirit creature of some sort, and we kind of call them angels. Just saying. Um, so there's a lot we need to cover tonight because 
we could have answers to all those objections, but we want the author of Hebrews to knock those out of the park. Because if Jesus is not different than an angel and still superior, that any one of those things could come into play. And yeah, Daniel takes it. Satan's a former archangel, essentially, or archangel, essentially, he's a disgruntled formerly employee of God. There's a lot of people out there that think of life as a big cosmic boxing match. In this corner, we got Jesus. And the other corner, we got Satan. And we're just waiting to see who's going to win. You see, if Jesus is an angel, then that's a good boxing match. Oh, Joel, you're taking too much license. There's enough Wahoo theologies out there that would gladly play with any of those objections I raise. So that's our Jesus recap and possible concerns. So let's have our Jesus and angels a finale. We're in chapter two, five to nine. Let's see how the author of Hebrews knocks this one down. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind, that you are mindful of them, a son of man, that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So number one, there are a word about ages and administration. Deuteronomy 32, 8 reads this. I put that, you see it in the green text on your page. It says, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance... When he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for his peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. In the original Masoretic text, it says the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Angels. So the idea is that God, and this is how some of the ancients viewed life, even ancient Israel, they viewed it as that God has placed his angels as administrators of earth. We see this idea in the book of Daniel where Gabriel is talking to Daniel and he got hindered. And because Archangel Michael was having a deal with some Prince of Persia character. And we're kind of getting a glimpse of maybe some heavenly spiritual warfare things going on here. Like maybe there's some really bad kingdoms that have like a demonic person in charge or some kind of an angelic thing in charge. And there's others that have this angel in charge. And we see in the book of Revelation that they're writing these letters to the angel of the church at this place. So this idea was present in the ancient world that God has set his angels as administrators over the earth. So what's he saying here? He's saying, if that is indeed the case, they don't get what comes after earth. The world to come, you want to call that the afterlife. You want to call that heaven. You want to call that the new heavens and the new earth. You want to call that paradise. You want to call that Sheol or the great. I don't know what you want to call that biblically. What comes next? You want to call that the messianic rule, the thousand year rule? I don't know. Paul talks about maybe one or two ages coming after this. But what we do know, according to the author of Hebrews, is this. Angels? Okay, you're the kind of the administrators here and now. But you're not the bosses in that kingdom. You're not the bosses in that era, in that age. 
That's a word about ages and administration. So somebody has to be. If it's not the angels anymore, then who's going to be in charge? Now, we know God's ultimately in charge, but who's like his underling? Who's his lieutenant? The ancient, the ancient Hebrew world would say the angels are. He made the angels like the, the lieutenants. But who's next? It's not to angels he has subjected the world to come, about which we were speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. So who is lower than the angels? He's quoting here Psalm 8, 4 to 6. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings are the son of man. Do you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels. And we're picturing David here looking up at the stars and going, wow. What did you give to us, Lord? Wow. You've made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned mankind with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. Wow. So human administration? Yeah, it, it, verse 8 continues, and put everything under their feet, and putting everything under them, God had left nothing that is not subject to them. Genesis 1, check this, God blessed them. He's talking to Adam and Eve here. He said, be fruitful and increase in number. Okay, we know what he's saying there. Okay, make babies. Okay. Fill the earth and subdue it. Well, fill the earth. Okay, that's the baby part, but subdue it. Huh. Rule over the fish in the sea and on the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Wow. So it looks like, according to the psalmist and according to the author of Hebrews, humanity is like right underneath the angels. It's like God has exalted us. We, who just a verse prior in Genesis are made in his image. We are so exalted. We're, we're just like a little lower than the angels. Wow. You see, God calls us to be good stewards of his creation, to rule over it in a way that honors him. So human administration, wow. So how, does this, how do these verses finish out here, eight and nine? But we also, but we do see Jesus. Oh, sorry. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to them. You know, humans, we try to control things and God placed us there, but there's a lot of stuff that's gone wrong. We do a really bad job. We do a really bad job as administrators, don't we? We just can't control this planet. We can't control what's going on. And yeah, Randy Texan, that's at least one commandment we have managed to keep. We've beaten the earth into submission already, haven't we? Yeah, you could argue that. And we definitely filled the earth. Um, yes, we, we, we've we've multiplied it. Yes, we have. And um, yeah, um, there's a lot we as human administrators have not done well. And because we're sinful creatures. And we're selfish creatures. And we don't need any convincing of that. The New Testament doesn't need to beat us over the head with that. We know. We know. So it's all lost. Well, verse nine says this. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What's the Jesus timeline here? It's actually as simple as you think. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? As Christians, nobody's going to dispute that. A, a person of a Jewish faith would say, okay, yeah, you say son of God, I hear you saying Messiah. 
Okay, fine. But Jesus claimed that I and the Father are one. So we understand that modalism, you know what modalism is? Modalism is the heresy that says this, that God can be a trinity, God can be three persons, but he's never the same person at the same time. So in the Old Testament, we see God the Father, this creator God. And then the pages of the New Testament, that same God became God the Son, Jesus. And then by the age of the church, he shifts mode a third time. He's now the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so we don't believe that. What we do believe as evangelical Protestant Reformed Christians, we believe that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always are. Always are. So in the beginning, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1, when God said, let us make man in our image, first person plural, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and us, a we. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit always existed. Okay, so that means God the Son, before Jesus came out of Mary's womb, God the Son already existed from eternity. So, eternal glory of God the Son, and then the Word became flesh. So we got eternal glory of God the Son here. Then all of a sudden, in Jesus, the Word became flesh. is becoming lower now, because now God is taking on the limitations of flesh and then this flesh is going to die and after all that the eternal glory of god the son that's what these verses are talking about here this jesus this eternal son of god was for a time made lower than the angels because he was like me and like you human we were made a little lower than the angels Huh. Well, let's revisit the two atoms briefly before we leave this first section here. Because we have the two atoms in our text here, because when we're talking about humanity, we all go back to one man, Adam. And in Romans 5, Paul talks about two atoms, and they're kind of like federal heads, representative heads. It is Adam and a second Adam, Jesus. You see, the first Adam. Sin came through the first Adam. But through the second Adam, Jesus, grace came. Through the first Adam, Adam, condemnation came. But through Jesus, the second Adam, grace came. The first Adam brought death to everyone. And according to the author of Hebrews, in verse 9, through the second Adam, he tasted death. For everyone. Huh. So he was one of us. He was lower than the angels. I thought you were saying that he was going to be superior to the angels. But yes, he's going to die. He's going to suffer and die and be raised again. And then he's going to receive a glory that no angel could ever touch. Jesus, superior. To the angels. What he accomplished as the eternal son of God was lowered, lowered himself to take on flesh, to bear my shame, to bear yours, 
and to take the sting out of death on that cross as he suffered and died in our place, as he fully and finally conquered death and the grave, he resurrected to glory. That Jesus. No angel can do any of those things. Jesus, greater than the angels. Well, the rest of this text tonight is going to talk about two aspects of salvation, two aspects of Jesus that are really awesome. And they're going to be hinting at what we're going to see in the rest of Hebrews, speaking of Jesus. The first thing here, Jesus and salvation, verses 10 to 13. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their, of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Yeah, God's family here. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Glory. Check out verse 10. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory. You are that daughter. You are that son. I am that son. Jesus brought us to glory. What in the world does that mean? One of the greatest verses in the Bible, Romans 8.30. Now, you may read this verse and hate this verse. You may theologically not like a couple words in this verse. But, oh, well, here it is. And those he predestined, oh, there's that word. Well, ask yourself this. Do you want to worship a God who's able to predestine or who's not able to predestine? You want to worship a God who's waiting on my choice or one who's able to decree my choice? What God is more powerful there? What God gets the most possible glory? I think it's the God who's able to predestine versus the one who's having to wait, mopping his brow, seeing if Eve's going to eat the apple or not. All right. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. This is salvation timeline here. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Glorified, yeah, this is like 1 Corinthians 15. We're talking about the resurrection bodies one day that will not ever decay anymore, that are able to have glory in heaven and not waste away to be in heaven for eternity. Yes, the same glory that Jesus experienced after he rose from the grave, he's, grave, he's like the first fruits of that, and he's welcoming us into that. And that just seems like a toss-away verse. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory. That's one of the greatest verses you're ever going to read. And it's not even half the verse. Wow. Well, in doing that, it's fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Yeah. Wait a minute. He had to suffer to be made perfect? Perfect. Joel, what are you talking about there? Yeah, perfect's not the best translation. Complete complete this salvation because the son of god remember isaiah 53 and by his stripes we are healed how healed are we 
almost healed, kind of partially healed. I tripped and fell in the snow a couple while back and got some weird rash on my hand. It's, it's taken us a good long time to get cleaned up, but it's starting to get cleaned up. Are we like that kind of healed where yeah, it still itches now and then, but the scabs are going away. Are we almost there or are we completely healed? That's a huge question because if you've ever done first John one, nine and confess your sins to God, he is faithful to just to do what? To forgive us and to cleanse us. Well, how clean are we? How morally clean am I when I confess my sins? Does God actually mean he's going to take them from me? He's able to deal with them so I don't have to deal with them anymore. See, this is huge. If this is not perfect and complete, then my salvation is a joke. And so is yours. We need this to be complete. This is a huge moment in salvation history right here. It was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. That salvation can be complete. We go on to family. Both the one who makes people holy, Jesus, by the way, no angel, no angels making anybody holy. And those who are made holy are of the same family. What? So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. But I don't belong in this family. What do you mean? What? Are you saying you're like someone who's adopted in? Grafted in like a tree branch? Yeah. You're darn right you don't belong. Because if you did belong, that wouldn't be grace. But God loves you. God loves you so much. So we quote a couple of verses here. It's, uh, let's see, Psalm 22, 22, and Isaiah 8, 17 and 18. He has three quotes here, 117, 118. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. So our first family value there, we're going to praise God. We always praise God. No matter what happens in life, we praise God. I will wait for the Lord for who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. We trust God. We wait upon him. We trust Family values that we learn from big brother Jesus, as it were, we, we declare his praise. We trust in the Lord. We wait for him. And finally, here I am, and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty, who dwells in Mount Zion. Yeah, what are we signs and symbols of? It's as if the picture God pulling out his wallet and taking his wallet pictures out. Saying, have you considered this one? I showed my grace to this one right here. She's walking around forgiven. She's singing my praises. She's earned none of it. He's earned none of it. But I love her. I love him. I called her by name. She's mine. That's a perfect salvation right there as jesus was lowered for a time to take on flesh to die in my place because he can't die in my place unless he could actually die how does an immortal one die that's the only way an immortal can die how can god die if he takes on flesh to bear the punishment that i deserve daniel takes it in Angels are merely messengers, unlike Jesus. They can't make anyone holy. 
Correct? It's by grace that we are saved. Nothing we could do to ever could earn it. Correct. Wow. Family values. Yeah, but and the clay respond. Well, we know yeah, but. For those of you who don't know yeah, but, you're going, what in the world is he talking about? We have three students. Okay, I got them on this piece of paper right here. We have yeah, but, we have the weary, and we have the clay. What does yeah, but believe? Yeah, but says, oh, yeah, I believe all this stuff, but. And the but usually wins. I know better, but I have other priorities. What would the yeah, but say to this? Yeah, you know, Jesus, I, I get it. Yeah, he probably did do all that. And he probably is all those things. I'm not going to dispute what the Bible says, but there's just enough there that I'm just not going to respond to it. Because at the end of the day, if I respond to God the way he's expected me to respond to God, then I don't get to be king of my world. And I like being king of my world. I like being the master of my ship. I like being all those things. I like to know that I'm the one that really matters. Because if there is a God, I might just have to answer to this God. And if the Bible is more, if the Bible is actually true, then me and my little kingdom, we're screwed. I mean, we just don't, it's, oh my gosh. Um, I mean, I get these are kind of fun stories to keep us in line, but if this is all really real, so I, I, can't, I can't land my plane there because I can't. I just can't do that because I like what I have and I like the control that I can, I mean, I like the moralism. I like all that stuff. It's great to see grandma go to church, all these things. I like how in this weird 2020, we can go to church online and I can still be, you know, playing my candy crush over here or whatever, maybe there's a game to four years old, but I can still do this. I could do that. I could do this. I don't ever have to, 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 to really do this, God. I can say, yeah, but in my inside, I can also say, but I don't really have to be sold out. I don't really have to go for it. See, that's the yeah, but that, that's always his response. That was me for years. Is that you? I know Jesus can save, but I don't want a handout. If I can't accomplish it, I don't want it. I like having a way out. Because if I take things from God, God's going to be, God's going to turn into that weird mafia boss and expect a reckoning. What's he going to expect from me? My life, my decisions, my priorities. I like my priorities. You know what? I think I'm going to roll the dice. That's yeah, but. What about the clay? The clay is like a big lump of clay that is realizing that the, 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 the potter is coming on the scene and the, and the clay is realizing, oh, I'm going to get spun and I'm going to get twisted. I'm going to get, you know, oiled up or watered up or whatever they do. But all of a sudden he's going to make me whatever he's going to make me. The clay says this, I see the seasons of life as times to be molded and shaped. Teach me God during these harder times. The clay is going to look at this and go, wow, I get to actually live as a member of God's family. What needs to be different about me? I can't wait. So I'm the little redheaded stepchild. Fine. I'm part of the family. You look at Paul. He's like, I'm one of the apostles, but I'm, I'm like the least of them. I'm like one abnormally made. I'm nobody to write home about. And this is Paul. The Paul saying that. I feel like I'm getting in all this by the skin of my teeth, but, but I'm still part of the family. I'm here. I get to live God's glory. 
God gets to be glorified in me. Doesn't God know who I am? Doesn't God know what I've done? Doesn't God know what I think and what it, God, you're gonna use me? Yes, you're gonna use me. I'm motivated now, God. I am motivated. Use me, God, use me. Use me for your glory, what a great. See, the clay looks for opportunities to sing a song of praise to God. The clay reads these verses and goes, wow. All right, yes, he's calling me, brother. All right, big bro, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, the clay looks for opportunities. The yeah, but he looks for escapes. Which attitude is yours when it comes to Jesus? When it comes to the things of God, when it comes to responding to God's word, what's your attitude? Let's make the screen go down a little bit lower here so you can see the bottom. That's Jesus' salvation, what he uniquely accomplished for us. But what's he doing now? What's Jesus all about now? Jesus and humanity, 14 to 18. Since the children, as you and me, kids, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Oh, Joel, you said there was no cosmic boxing match. Okay, we get a moment of that cosmic boxing match right here. It's not much of a match. It's kind of like in Revelation. We see in Revelation 19, you know, we, we see we, all the, the Armageddon and all of the, the, all the, the great kings of the earth gathering. We're like, oh, yeah, here it is, Armageddon. We always hear about Armageddon. Here it is. But here's going to be the biggest battle to end all battles. And all of a sudden, the rider, on the, the, the rider on the white horse shows up with a sword coming out of his mouth and the armies of God and all these things. And all of a sudden, the next verses we read about, we read about like a mountains and rivers of blood. It's like, oh, yeah, what a war. Boom, crispy critters. It's done. It's like no one's standing up to God that way, as if the outcome is ever in doubt. So you might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. It is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You say, well, God, but I'm going through temptation and it's hard. And I'm tempted and I'm tempted. And God, you don't understand. Baloney. You can make that argument if God never became flesh. If there was no Hebrews chapter 2 explaining it to us, you can make that argument that God, you don't really understand. God, you made me and I'm this way. You don't understand. I was made this way, God. I was made to be this sinful, broken mess. You don't understand, God. If he never took on flesh, you might have a point. I hate to admit it, but you might be able to argue that. Except for Hebrews 2. 
because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. He shared in humanity, 14a. Since the children have flesh and blood, he shared in their humanity. I like that. When I read when Jesus sees that his buddy Lazarus is dead and he weeps, he's not some stoic going, oh, this is sad. Oh, this is the sadness of everything. No, he's feeling it in his soul. He maybe he's getting goose pimples. He might be sweating a bit. He's weeping. He might be sick to his stomach. He's experiencing what sin does in the most innocent way a person ever could, but still a person. Flesh. Daniel texted in, God understands us possibly better than we understand ourselves. And even in the literal fleshly way, he bore our flesh. He actually wore skin. This is God. Wow. He shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. Hmm. There's this old story about a guy who refused to go to church and his, 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 his wife and his kids would go to church. And the guy never would. I ain't going, I ain't going, you know, he, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And then there was a big storm and uh, he all of a sudden hears some, some meowing in the backyard. And there's a big, horrible storm and the, the barn door was open and the, the, the barn cats are outside. And they're not able to get back in and he's going outside and he's calling to these cats. Hey, get in there, get in there, get in there. And finally comes this realization, you know what, if I could just turn into a cat for one moment, I'd go over there and I'd meow at them and get them to get to their salvation because they're not understanding their salvation is right there if they would just go that way. And then as the story continues, he gets, he falls to his knees and goes, oh my, that is exactly the point of Jesus. He became like me in the flesh to lead me to my salvation. He shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might, he had to die a fleshly death to defeat the flesh and the death that comes to only the flesh. That logically must happen. Breaking the power and freeing the slaves. Yes, for it is, it is not angels he helps. We're held in slavery by the fear of death. Why are we afraid of death? Because we know that we earned that death with our sin. We've rejected God. And what's he going to do with that? See, we're afraid of death because the accuser can now say this. He broke your law, God. And that accuser in the Hebrew is called Ha-Satan, the Satan. He gets a proper name in the New Testament. So much so in Revelation 12, they're, they're singing a song about the accuser of our brothers, the great dragon has been thrown down. Yeah, that guy. He gets a point in the afterlife by saying, hey, wait a minute. That Joel guy? You know what he did? You know who he is? You know what he's about? You know, and, and they go that direction. See, we're afraid of death because we have a reckoning. We're slaves to our sins. So we therefore deserve what we have coming, don't we? And that slavery to death has kept people in check for so many years. Except Jesus. He tasted that death for us. So death could be defeated. He didn't do that for the angels. 
but for us. He became a merciful and faithful high priest. See, verse 17, we have, we have a present tense verb. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, continuing, that he might make atonement. To become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's making atonement. Making atonement. He's becoming a merciful and faithful high priest. What does a high priest do? You see, the prophet, it's like, if this is God and this is man, God at the top, man at the bottom, the prophet's like a down arrow, okay? God speaking to man through the prophet. What's a priest? A priest is like an up arrow. A priest then takes what man has and is able to represent it towards God, is able to mediate, is able to, here's the sacrifice, God. I'm going to, they, they brought it. I'm going to prepare it and we're going to send it to you. Here it is. It's like an upward arrow. So here he is. He's making that atonement. He's being that mediating high priest, securing the forgiveness of sin, securing atonement, making atonement for the people, the sins of the people. Because he suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. What's Jesus doing right now? Yes, Daniel's right. He's the only, uh, Jesus, or excuse me, Mick texted in, Jesus had to be a bona fide human being in, in order for his death to serve as a propitiation for our sins. Yes, yes. He is that rarity where God literally propitiated himself. God the Son bore our, our, our price to propitiate God the Father, to take that wrath to satisfy that wrath that we have earned and we deserve. Daniel texts in, Jesus is the only priest we need. Amen. Amen. He's also the only priest we get. But he's the only one we need. What's he doing in heaven right now? We're going to find out later he's interceding. He's praying. He, he, he's bolstering. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You're being tempted. You're going through things. Life is hard. You're struggling. He's been there. He's able to help you right now. Encouragement for the weary. What's the weary? The weary is that third student. And the yeah, but is one, the clay is the other. The weary is right in the middle. The weary just says, you know what? I'm tired. I'm, I'm sick of dealing with things. I'm sick of having to, you know, the, I, I'm at least better than the yeah, bud who doesn't want to do anything. I'm willing to do things, but I'm just sick of it. The clay is like, yeah, let's go. The weary is like, I just, I'm tired of making big decisions. I just rather Jesus has come back. I mean, I just don't want to deal with life. I don't want to deal with this. I'm struggling. I just, I, can, is there a fast, a quicker answer? I'm just weary. And the weary is not necessarily bad. The weary is just really tired, and we want to give hope to the weary. Well, there's hope here. Because Jesus not only has paid the price for their sin, he's in heaven right now helping the weary ones, caring for the weary ones who are up against it. How is it said? Life has thrown them a curveball. The terriers are nipping at their heels. Life just sucks. These people are really up against it. And Jesus is up there helping caring, even for the ones who are almost ready to give up, the weary. There's encouragement for the weary. 
What about your approach to God? I'm going to close with this. Kind of goes back to our opening thing here. Yeah. Mick, great texture from Mick. Jesus is amazing because he serves as both our high priest and the sacrifice. Let that sink in for a second. That's a brilliant point. Let that sink in for a second. The high priest administers the sacrifice. The high priest prepares the sacrifice. The high priest is never the sacrifice. In fact, if you look in the book of Leviticus, the high priest has to prepare his own sacrifice for his own stinking sins. Jesus is the priest and the sacrifice. Wow. Hebrews is God telling us, hang in there, it's worth it. Amen. We could close right there, but I want to close with this. What's your approach to God? Go back to that silliness at the very beginning where I was making weird arguments about Jesus and angels, and maybe Jesus was an angel, or maybe people thought this way or thought that way. What about your approach to God? Do you treat God like he's an angel? Now, before you clutch your pearls and faint on your fainting couch, like one of those ancient Groucho Marx movies, do you treat God like an angel? Okay, fine, fine, fine. Do you treat God, we'll give you some credit, like the greatest possible angel? What would that look like if you treated God like an angel? God, I know you're different than me. God, I know you live in a different place than me. God, I know you're powerful and you can do things that I can't possibly do. But, so there's an inherent yeah, but there. But you're not almighty. You're not really in control. Because the angels aren't really in control. The angels aren't sovereign. The angels aren't almighty. Do we treat God that way? Kind of like giving him theological lip service, blowing smoke in his ears a little bit, buttering him up, maybe just saying, yeah, 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 God, yeah, 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 God, I get it, I get it, I get it. But I don't really have to do it because it doesn't really matter. If I take off an angel, oh, well. Maybe God's that way. I know God has expectations of me, but I'm able to wiggle off that hook, I think. I'm able to do just enough to make that God happy that I can live however I want to do. That doesn't treat God like he's sovereign. Is that you? I mean, you're, I know you're going, oh, wait a minute. I wouldn't come to this class, sir, if I was here. Fine. Dig down deep inside of you. Do you treat God that way? Is there any bit of a yeah, but with you? I'm not saying this to shame you. I've already admitted a good, good percentage of my life was yeah, but. I swam in the rancid waters of yeah, but. That was me. I've been that hypocrite. Have you? Is there a part of you that says, you know, God, if I really dealt with you as if you were God, there's a lot that would change. I know it too, and I know it. But if I'm able just to push you aside just a second, is that treating God like an angel? I'm just saying. He's heavenly, he's different, he's awesome, but he's just not quite God. Is there a part of you that's there? I don't know, but double check that. Something I'd be praying about, I'd be wondering about. What about if God was an idol? Can I treat God like an idol? Maybe you might say, well, I'll treat God like a, I can't treat him like an angel. I mean, that's kind of weird. Um, I'll treat him like his God, but maybe I could treat God like an idol. 
I know, I know commandment two, you should have no graven images. I know the whole purpose of that commandment is so you don't do this, but do you? What would treating God like an idol look like? God, I mean, I'm just saying, God, I know I've been praying this prayer, but I mean, I, I did give some money to church. I've got, you know, I go to this church, God, I come to this class. I could be doing literally anything else, God, but I'm here. And you know what? I got the, I got directed, you know, the money comes out every week, God, I'm making the payment to the church. I'm just, I'm doing it, God. I'm just saying, I, I'm in small group. I'm doing all these things, God. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm not praying for much, God. I mean, I mean, it's just this. I mean, God, there's got to be some kind of quid pro quo somewhere, God. I mean, come on. Because I'm one of your guys. I'm one of your gals. And um, I'm just saying, God, at some point, am I going to get something out of this? Or is this going to be decades of my life given to something and not really? I mean, God, I've scratched your back so stinking much. Can I just get a little scratch? So, I mean, do you see what that's doing? If you allow yourself to go there, you become God in that equation. You give and then you get. God is, is like, is, is like a, a transaction. That's idolatry. I'm not saying you're, you're, you're a jerk for, for thinking that. I've thought that many a times. And I'm a pastor. It's so easy to go, God, I preached all these sermons. God, I did all these classes. God, I did all these things. I've given all my life to you, God. Now, where do, where, where do I get something now? Do you know how tempting that is? You see, we can't treat God that way. The only choice we have is to respond to God as if he actually is God. And we respond to Jesus as if he's not some unique characteristic he's some unique person like an angel or a demon but he's actually king of kings and actually lord of lords and that's an ancient feudalistic word where he's the lord and i'm the serf or the peasant and if i displease my lord it could very easily be off with his head that's why jesus says why do you call me lord lord and don't do what i say it's just a misnomer it's an oxymoron it doesn't it doesn't make sense hebrews chapter 2 is so important because it calls you on the carpet how are you How do you respond? Who is this Jesus? How do you respond to him? It's been our time in Hebrews 2 tonight. God bless.